Well, it's wonderful to be with you again, and I hope that you are doing well and staying healthy. Pray that the Lord is blessing your family and blessing your work and every part of your life. Uh, This time that we live in is certainly an opportunity to witness for the Lord. I think that you can see, uh, you don't have to go very far, but just watch some of your neighbors and listen to them talk. Or uh, go on social media, well, maybe, and uh, watch the news and things that are going on. Everybody is scared to death. And uh, I thought by this point, things would be kind of lightening up. And as we opened up, things would get better. But have you noticed that it seems that as life slowly begins to move toward normalcy, it seems like the news and the reports and the things that we hear from people are getting a little bit more frantic, and uh, we just don't know quite where to land. In fact, it gets quite confusing. So it always helps me, and I know it'll help you as well, to settle in on God's Word. And we've been looking in this 74th Psalm, another psalm of a guy named Asaph, who was living during the time after Jerusalem had been invaded and after uh, the brightest and best of their people uh, had been taken captive to Babylon. And the only ones that are left are people that were too old to do much work. They were the poor. They didn't have many resources. There wasn't a whole lot of talent or ability there in Jerusalem at this particular time. And as we look at other books of the Bible to kind of piece the history together, you remember that the walls of Jerusalem were torn down and uh, that meant then that anybody, anybody from outside could come in any time that they wanted. And they certainly did so. There were some, we might call them terrorist groups back then, that would come in and out. And I mean, they would raid. And about the time the people in Jerusalem started doing better and feeling a little better about things than some of these terrorist bands would come in and, and loot and raid and... Uh, You know, all of that kind of stuff that would go on. So it's a distressing time. And where do you go for peace? Where do you go for hope? Where do you go for solace? Well, if you were living in those days when, uh, pardon me, Asaph did in Jerusalem, you'd want to go to the temple, wouldn't you? And sometimes it probably would do you some good on a quiet, peaceful morning. Maybe you're in the hills uh, just outside of Jerusalem to look down upon that city, that holy city. And there were times that that city seemed tranquil and peaceful. And uh, there was just, um, you know, something special about all of that. And then there was the temple. There was the temple, that place of worship, that place that was one of the wonders of the ancient world. And, oh, it just made your heart feel good and feel better about things. But not in Asaph's time. For in Asaph's time, you don't get a picture of peace and tranquility. In fact, the temple's not even there. It's been raided, looted, the treasure's taken out of it, and it's been burned down. And people are just left there to go, where is God? Why has he abandoned us? And that's kind of the beginning of this uh, psalm, isn't it? And as we move on down through this and we think about all of the things that people were experiencing, Asaph comes down here to the very end of this psalm. And we'll just look at the last few verses. And um, let's read them. And Asaph says in verse 21 through 23, just those verses, Oh, do not let the oppressed return 
ashamed. Let the poor and the needy praise your name. Arise, O Lord, plead your own cause. And remember how the foolish man reproaches you daily. Do not forget the voice of your enemies, the tumult of those who rise up against you increases continually. Um, let's just be honest. He's not ending the psalm here on a, and we lived happily ever after and all is well. He's still waiting for that. In fact, uh, you remember that according to the prophecy of Jeremiah and according to history, this exile lasted uh, 70 years. It's 586 B.C. when Nebuchadnezzar invades uh, Jerusalem and Judah and takes the uh, people captive there and destroys the temple. It's going to be 70 years before anything is resolved out of all of this. And uh, the time that Asaph writes this, it hasn't happened yet and it's not going to happen for a long time. This, this is something that when Asaph tries to wrap his his thoughts around all of this, it's almost like it doesn't make sense. Now, we can look back and we can have the privilege of reading the Bible, all of the prophets and all of the stories, and we know about all of the people, how many times they trampled on the covenant, the covenant now that they desperately want God to keep, but for all of those years before, they trampled all over it. They didn't really care. And then uh, now when things are happening where they reap what they have sown, all of a sudden they care. All of a sudden it seems like God doesn't care. Do you think we ever do that? I think uh, our culture is very, very bad about doing that because we can live in a culture and in a land where God has blessed us. Even our founding documents in the United States, they mention God and mention creation and mention providence and those kind of things but yet we tend and we always have done this maybe more now than in previous times but it's always been a problem we kind of drift and we sort of forget about God until there's some type of a national tragedy let there be a famine let there be a drought let there be a natural disaster let there be a war let there be something like that, a plague or something that comes. And throughout our history, we've had these times of turning to God. In fact, that's one of the things that is so impressive about the pilgrims and the first Thanksgiving. They didn't just turn to God because they were starving to death. They turned to God to give thanks when things were going well. We could learn from that example, couldn't we? But throughout the history of our nation, and even recently, after 9-11, when uh, 3,000-plus of our citizens were killed, and uh, we're bewildered, and, and we're not sure what the future holds. We don't know what other attacks are planned. We don't know anything like that. What do we do? Well, the week after 9-11, virtually every church in America was full. Two weeks later, it was pretty much back to normal. Why? Because... Whenever something happens that shakes us up, that kind of uh, messes up our world and what we're doing, we sure want God to remember His promises. And I think we can learn from Psalm 74 that maybe during those in-between times when there's not a crisis, when times are good, maybe we need to remember our covenant 
to God and our relationship to God. Well, that's what Israel did over and over and over and over and over again. And they ignored the warnings of the prophets. They even persecuted and killed the prophets during that time. And there were people that were false prophets that were saying all is well and everything's going to be great and we're going to come through this. And uh, then devastation came. And when this devastation comes, they're not entirely sure how long it's going to last. Now, I know they probably should know. But keep in mind, they don't have a pocket Old Testament that they can carry around. They don't have a copy of God's Word in their home, most likely. Only the very rich could afford that. And so they would have to go to a, um, you know, a place of worship. And, that, and those places have been destroyed. Synagogue worship really doesn't start until they're in Babylon. And so where would they find a copy of the Word of God? Where would they find a scroll of Jeremiah where they could read it? And they may not have had that. It may not have been available to them at this time. So they're left to wonder. And so Asaph, as he finishes this psalm, it is a plea for God to do something. Now, in those verses that we read, I don't know if you uh, paid attention while we were reading it, but there was, some, uh, there was something that jumped out at me. Okay, Let, let's read this again. And notice in verse 21, Oh, do not let the oppressed return ashamed. Okay, That's a request for God to do something. You can't do anything about that. I can't do anything about that. Asaph can't do anything about that. Only God can do that. That's a cry to him. Okay? Captain obvious there, right? But look at the next thing. Let the poor and the needy praise your name. Okay? Now that's something I can do. And so many times we want to wait until God fixes things and puts things in satisfactory order for us and for our life. Then we're ready to get thankful and we're ready to start praising him. Aren't we like that? And yet Asaph is calling upon The poor to praise Him. Well, what do the poor have to praise God for? And let's keep in mind the reason that they're poor is probably because God has let up the hedge, taken up the hedge around Israel. He's let these invaders come in. They've even destroyed the temple without consequence. And what happens now? People are left impoverished because of something that God allowed to happen something that the enemy did by the providence of God, and now they're supposed to praise him? Let the needy praise you? When you talk about somebody who is poor, you're talking about somebody who doesn't have any resources of their own. When you're talking about somebody that is needy, they may have even had money or maybe some things that they could barter and trade. It's just that there was nothing available. It's kind of like, Back at the beginning of this pandemic, you remember? What was in short supply? Well, hand sanitizer was, uh, Lysol and those kind of products. But something I never dreamed I would see a shortage of in my lifetime. And that was just toilet paper. And you could have walked into Walmart or Target or Sam's with a million dollars in your pocket. But it wouldn't get you anything because there wasn't any toilet paper to be found. And that's what it means in this verse to be needy. The poor are the ones who don't have any money. And the needy are the ones who have these needs, but nothing's available. 
It's all been destroyed. It's all been burned up. There's no way to manufacture it. There's no way to get it. There's no way to raise it. And it's kind of like if the enemy would come in and they burn up all of the crops. And let's say that, um, you know, around here we have a lot of wheat fields. And I know in Tuttle, when I lived there, the first week of June was always about the time that the wheat harvest would come in. Well, let's say a marauding band of uh, the enemy came in and burned up all of the wheat. And let's say that they did it just before harvest. Now, you could go back out there on the second week of July and you could replant everything. But I'm not sure it would grow because that wheat is not made to really grow until fall or to be planted until fall. And it grows over the course of the winter. It's winter wheat. The second thing is, even if it would grow, how long is it going to take before you get a harvest? I don't care how well you plant it. I don't care how well you till the soil. You don't have anything yet. The harvest hasn't come in. Well, we don't know exactly what the situation is, but what if the enemy has come in and they've destroyed the food supply and people there are needy because no crops? They've all been destroyed. They've all been burned up. What if there are things that they need that they could purchase, but then the craftsman who made them has been taken off in exile to Babylon? There aren't any craftsmen to build furniture or to fix these kind of things. All kinds of things could come to our mind with all of this. And yet, what does Asaph say? Let the people in that condition praise you. In fact, as you read down through these verses, that is the only thing that anybody like you or like me could do. All the rest of it has to be done by God. So let's talk about these things and look at it like this. Number one, Asaph is praying, God, do what only you can do. Boy, that's not a bad prayer. That's not a bad thing to think about. So many times we are caught up in what we can do, and we talk about doing things for God. That's really kind of funny if you think about it. We serve a God who created the universe, ex nihilo, out of nothing, and we think we are going to do something for him that's going to enhance him, enrich him, that's going to add to him. It, it's impossible. He's a God who is absolute. He has need of nothing. You say, well, then what's the point of anything that we do? It's for God to do that through us for his own glory. And God gets glory out of taking sinful, depraved, wretched creatures like me, redeeming us, paying for our sins through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, pouring his wrath upon the innocent Son of God instead of upon me, and redeeming me. And then what does he do? The resurrected Christ ascends to the right hand of God the Father and sends back the Holy Spirit to live in someone and something like me. And my body becomes the temple of the Holy Spirit. And here I am living and walking in this sinful world, still struggling with sin, still battling sin, battling the enemy and temptation and all that comes with it, battling everything around me that is chaotic and there's a lot of disorder and there's a lot of things to try to entice me away from the path that God has ordained for me to walk. And so what does he allow me to do? To stand here doing what I'm doing right now. Now, if you were to go back... Uh, oh, 30 years, maybe even a little bit further than that, and you were to give me this passage of Scripture and ask me to preach it, absolute terror. 
And I wouldn't have much of anything to say. In fact, everything would be just kind of a restatement of things. What's happened? God, by His grace, has allowed me to learn. He's allowed me to be involved in His ministry all of these decades so that now there's more of an overflow in my life. I wish it were more, but there is more of an overflow than what there used to be because I'm growing, growing in the grace and knowledge of the Lord. Why? Because I've just got this super intellect. Well, of course, you know I do, but that's not really the reason for it. It's because of the presence of the Holy Spirit by His grace in my life. And the same thing is true for you. Anything you do when you witness to someone, when you teach somebody, when you are able to do anything that alleviates a burden in someone's life, even giving a cup of cold water in the name of Jesus, that is the Lord working through you and enabling you to do something. And so when we look at these verses and we think about the way it's supposed to be, We are supposed to ask God to do what only He can do. Because if it can be explained by you, your talent, your intellect, your personality or anything, it's probably not of God. Now, can God use those things? Of course He can. That's why He gave them to you. But He always calls upon us to surrender to Him so that there is a supernatural element to everything that we do that is inexplicable by uh, human resources. That's what God really wants to do. How do you lead somebody to faith in Christ? Well, it's not because we're super salesmen convincing them and arguing them into the kingdom of God. It's because they hear the word of God. And faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, right? It is the Spirit of God that draws them to repentance of their sin and grants them repentance, the Bible says, And then they put their faith in Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross for them and believed that he was raised from the dead and they surrendered to him as Lord. You don't do that. I don't do that. Only God can raise a dead sinner to life. Only God can change a heart. Only God can draw someone from darkness into light, from unbelief to faith. That's the work of God. And when we look at the world around us, all of us could name maybe our top five things we would love to see happen. And maybe we even want to work to see those things happen. But the truth of the matter is, nothing's really going to change unless God does it. And so Asaph is coming to the end of himself. This brokenness, this emptiness, this state of helplessness. And he looks at all of that and says, oh, there's nothing that I can do. And God looks at that and says, that's where I've been trying to get you all of these years. To the place where you don't depend upon yourself. You don't depend upon your circumstances. You don't depend upon the political situation. You don't depend upon the economic situation. You just simply depend upon me. And we say, ah, Lord, do what only you can do. Don't let the oppressed be ashamed. I can't do anything about my oppression or your oppression. That's why we're oppressed. I can't do anything about the shame that we have and the, uh, you know, how we feel about things and how we look, how we appear. But God can. He can take slaves and bring them out of Egypt and make them into a great nation. He can return them from Babylon out of exile and he can reestablish them in the land. This is a God who can do anything and this is 
a verse, verse 21, that tells us, the first part of it anyway, what only God can do. Number two, enable us to do as we should. And what is that? To praise His name, no matter what our circumstances might be. You know, we're the kind of people where we want to say things like this. Oh Lord, if you'll heal me, I'll praise you. And the Lord may be saying to us, why don't you praise me and see if I'll heal you? We say, oh God, provide for my financial needs and I'll give you the glory. Well, why don't you give me the glory now and then see what I do and how I meet all of your needs? We, we get it backwards. We try to put the caboose in the front of the train and then wonder why we're not going anywhere. We've got to get all of this right. Now, for me to praise the Lord, I've got to have something inside of me. I've got to have something within me. I've got to have something that I can't put in myself. The Bible talks about us, we're just earthen vessels. Um, uh, the Greek means we're just clay jars, right? And what do we have in us? We have the treasure. The treasure is God himself living within us, the Holy Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit is not third-string God or anything, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are equal. And uh, they make up the Godhead. And God the Holy Spirit lives in us. You and I, as believers, have the creator of the universe indwelling us. And this all-knowing, all-powerful God is with us everywhere we go. He knows what your tomorrow holds. He knows what your limitations are. He knows what other people are going to say about you or against you maybe. He knows the attack of the enemy. He knows everything that is going to happen and he sees to that so that all of your needs are met. And he also is your power and your strength. And one of the things we know is that God inhabits the praises of his people. So the inhabiting God is going to fill our lives with praise. So God enables you and me to do something. And it's the only thing we can do in this. And what is it? Instead of whining, instead of complaining, instead of being like everybody else, we have a word of praise. Have you ever thanked God for this pandemic? The Bible says, in everything give thanks. You should be. Are you rejoicing in the Lord during this time of weirdness? Isn't it strange? Life is not quite the same, especially church life, as we would know it or understand it or even like for it to be. But that doesn't mean we can't have joy. That doesn't mean we can't have the strength of the Lord. The joy of the Lord is our strength, right? That doesn't mean that the fruit of the Spirit can't be in us, which is love and joy and peace. How many people are experiencing that? We ought to be praising God. We ought to be thanking God. We ought to be rejoicing in the Lord. Maybe life hasn't gone exactly like we wanted it to in 2020. But we're here and we're still alive. And we still have a ministry. And we still have a testimony. And God is still with us. So Lord, do what only you can do. And enable us to do what we ought to do, right? And then the third thing is... May your word be unhindered. Ah, this is interesting in verse 22. Arise, O Lord, and plead your own cause. One translation says, Lord, speak up. Speak up. Stand up for yourself. Oh, that would be my prayer for God to do that in our lives, in our church. 
in our community, in our state, in our nation, and in our world. Oh, Lord, stand up and testify. Stand up and do something. Work in mighty, mighty power so that it's undeniable. I think most every believer would probably say amen to that. I hope you did. But keep in mind, as we've seen in the book of Exodus, sometimes when God shows his power, it hurts. Because when the river was turned to blood, and when the plague of frogs came, and the plague of lice came, that affected the slaves, the Israelis, as well as the Egyptians. Now, was God showing his mighty power? You bet he was. You bet he was. Was he getting their attention? Yes. Yes. He's got more to go and more that he's going to do. But yeah, he's getting their attention. He's doing that. And I wonder sometimes when we pray, oh Lord, do something great in our land, it might make us uncomfortable. It might make, cause us some pain. It might be something that affects us and our family and our life. It may not be all hunky-dory, as we might say. So think about that and think about God pleading his cause. Because I think in our heart, whatever it might cost us, if it glorifies God, it is going to gladden your heart and gladden your spirit within you because that's a good thing when God pleads his cause. There are some things that we might speak to in this world today and nobody listens. It falls on deaf ear. Don't you get tired of that? Don't you get tired of voting a certain way and it seems like you get outvoted? Don't, don't you get tired of posting something on social media and all it turns into is an argument? I, I had one thing that I posted. I didn't even respond to it. Two people got in a fight you know, several posts down and I finally just deleted it. That wasn't what I really wanted. But oh, if God would speak, if God would stand up, if God would assert himself in this culture and in this land and in our church and in our homes and in us, oh God, plead your cause. You know, our iniquities testify against us and the enemy accuses us and it's so good to know that the Lord stands up and defends us as our advocate before the Father. But more than that, we would pray with Asaph, Oh Lord, plead your cause. And then number four, make good and evil to be plain. Asaph says, Remember how the foolish man, the wicked man, reproaches you daily. This is the ungodly, the, the Babylonians, in other words. Do not forget the voice of your enemies. Don't just overlook that, Lord. Pay attention to what they're saying. The tumult, that's a noisy, raucous type thing, of those who rise up against you, and look at the next word, it increases. That's bad, isn't it? We don't want evil to increase. But Asaph says it is. That's the way it looks to him. And then notice the next word, if you could make it bad by increasing, you can make it even worse by saying it increases continually. Asaph is saying, we don't really seem to have a voice here. We don't really have uh, any influence or any power. It seems like everything we say and everything we think about, we sing the psalms, we pray the prayers, and uh, we recite the words, and the Babylonians are still 
running back and forth and setting up their pagan idols in the temple and all of those kind of things. Whatever it is that's happening, we're still enslaved. The people that are the brightest and best among us are still in Babylon. What, what all is going on here, Lord? It's confusing. It's confusing. Kind of like hearing from the Centers for Disease Control during this pandemic. It's kind of confusing. Well, here's the thing that I think Asaph is praying for. Don't let it be confusing in our lives. Let us be settled on what's good and bad, right and wrong. Make it so plain that even ignorant people like us can't miss it. Make it so plain that the enemy has to acknowledge it. Just make it plain. Make it clear. Make it to where we know where we ought to walk. We know what we ought to be doing. We know where we ought to go. We know what the promises of God are. We walk by faith instead of walking by sight. Make, make, make it plain. Don't forget all of these things that are around us. Make it clear and make it plain that there's a difference between them and between us because we are indwelt by you and we follow you and we believe you and we are walking with you and you are living your life through all of us. Make it plain, not confusing. You know, I think in our world today, there are a lot of people that are confused about Christianity. They're confused about God. They're confused about you. Because some of the things you said 10 years ago, you're strangely not saying them now. You've kind of changed your tune. You've changed your morals. You've changed your idea about things. Well, let me just remind you, God hasn't changed and His Word hasn't changed. And when we send out an unclear signal... How are they supposed to know what to believe? Because we're just like everybody else drifting around. Paul said that one of the reasons that he has called people like me to do what I do is so that you could be no longer children tossed about by every wind and wave of doctrine. But see, the problem is, for some of you, I don't really have your ear, but the media does. And so you're just being slapped around all over the place. And I implore you, come back to God. Come back to the Word. Come back to what is true. And stand on that firm foundation. Because as we do, we're going to see that what Asaph was praying for is exactly in line with what God wants to do. He's not looking for you to do something for Him because His hands are tied. He's looking for you to surrender so that He can work through you. God, do what only you can do. He's looking for a people that will so walk by faith that in spite of the way they feel and in spite of what other people say, that in the midst of the noise of all of the evil, the Lord might incline His ear to hear you giving him praise and glory and honor, even though you were poor and needy. He's looking for you to uh, be a mouthpiece for him as he pleads his own cause, that his word would go forth unhindered. And we ought to pray for that. And that's what we ought to uh, uh, be ready for. And then he's looking for people who will live and walk in such a way that it makes good and evil, right and wrong, plain in a morally confused and upside-down world. Now, there's an assignment, and here's the good news. God doesn't say, I sure hope you can get it done. God is the one who says, you surrender to me and to my lordship, and I will do this through you 
for your glory. And then your life is going to count. Then you will hear him say at the end of your life, good, well done, good and faithful servant. Then your life will leave clear footprints when you exit earth's stage to go to heaven to your eternal home. And it's then that you will have maximum impact and be rewarded at the judgment seat of Christ. And when you look at all of that, why are you going to lay all those crowns at his feet? Because you're going to back, go back to point one. Oh, Lord Jesus, I didn't do this. You did it, and you did it through me, and you deserve the glory. So I hope that challenges you. I hope it encourages you, and hope that it uh, also corrects you where that needs to happen. And may you live for the glory of God during these dark, desperate, and confusing times. May God use you to be a voice of clarity because he is speaking through you. God bless you, and thank you so much.